optimistic about Appalachia these days. I, I really feel like that we are, we have reached a point where we're just kind of like, we are just so close to that tipping point of being able to show on paper what we're feeling locally. Appalachia Meets World, a podcast about place and perspective, but always Appalachia. Appalachia Meets World, we're back. It's Will. And Neil. Neil, how's it going there in the 606? Man, it's good. 606 is good. Where are you from? Uh, you know where I be. Yeah. London, KY. KY. Had a little storm down here tonight. Lost power for a bit. Whoa, really? Yeah. Yeah, that's odd for there. But all is well now. Got the lights back on. Good deal. Yep. I hear that it's a chicken festival week. Yeah. Lights went out. Now the party has started. <laughs> Worldwide, baby. Starts on starts Thursday, right? Thursday. Yep. Yep. Starts Thursday through Sunday. Uh, interested to see, you know, just what the attendance is like. The cancellation of it last year, just like all other festivals in the state. I would imagine that it'll be pretty heavily attended, uh, although COVID is kind of making a comeback, um, as you know. Uh, We'll see. All the listeners out there, grab your masks. September 23rd through the 26th, head to London KY and check out the World Chicken Festival in your little region of Appalachia. Yep, a lot of great booths, a lot of good food, a lot of great music. The world's biggest frying world's pan. world's largest frying pan. And as my kids reminded me earlier, you can also win a bunny rabbit. So let's hope I don't win one of those. <laughs> <laughs> the great thing about Laurel County during the chicken festival for the kids is they get out of school on that Friday. Yeah. I also uh, remember back in the day when they used to have – do you remember when they had the wrestling the bear contest? Oh, yeah, man. That was my former neighbor. <laughs> yes wait, wait your neighbor wrestled them or yes <laughs> yes you remember you, you know conrad's uncle big o oscar <laughs> yeah. miller yeah he wrestled the bear and did he uh, win until about six months ago he lived right next door uh yeah he whipped that bear's tail every year baby <laughs> I, I was so scared of big o when i was a kid you should have yeah. been He's, he wrestles bears yeah then i grew up and lived next door to him and I'm still scared of him. <laughs> Oscar Miller, world famous bear wrestler. <laughs> That's great. That yeah. is fantastic. No, the, the, the chicken festival is like those other small town festivals, but uh, it always brings out a lot of people. It's always, always a good time, always good for the community. For our listeners that don't know, the chicken festival is about, uh, I think this might be, I hate to put a number on this. I think it's 25 years that it's been going on. It's uh, it, it started because uh, the first Kentucky Fried Chicken ever was in Laurel County, Kentucky, and it started as a way Hello to Sanders. commemorate that and celebrate that. So it's it's taken on a you know a, become a pretty big deal, uh, especially for this town. So it's kind of it's almost like a homecoming for people at this point. Uh, it's always a good event great to highlight our town it's tv stations and news people are always doing live broadcasts from the chicken festival so it gives us an opportunity to be on on the big stage so it's speaking cool. of homecomings i was interested you know a couple of weeks ago we talked about labor day i always brought back the return of college football uh, oh, every yeah. year for us 
I went through the games this this past weekend, and there are I don't know if you realize this seventeen FBS, which is D one Appalachian teams. Did you realize that? No, 17. 17 so, college FBS Appalachian teams. And by Appalachia, I mean Appalachian Regional Commission's definition of Appalachia. So it's the 420 counties. But I also included the teams that had adjacent counties. So that means one county connected to uh, one of the ARC so, counties. So you're counting kentucky then county kentucky because of yeah. madison county is connected okay. to fayette there are a few there are just a a couple that are connected but uh there are 17 and of the last 12 years appalachia has won the national championship nine out of the last 12 years wow that's pretty that is, impressive <laughs> that is impressive right yeah who knew that you know here in appalachia we were the king of college football right Currently, we are ranked number one and number two in college football. Yeah. Alabama and Georgia are both uh-huh. Appalachian teams. And, you know, once Clemson, I guess, I guess they backed up to like six. Well, uh, they're not, but Penn State is six. Oh. Oh, I so, forgot. So yeah. The top five Appalachian teams currently are Alabama, Georgia, Penn State, Clemson, and Ole Miss. Oh, the Rebels. The Rebels. Yeah. Then you got Auburn right behind them. That's Is West Virginia not ranked? West Virginia's not ranked yet. Oh, they will they be. Just, they just beat Virginia Tech, another yeah. Appalachian team who was yep. ranked. So I yep. think WVU may become ranked. And then the cat. I mean, the Cats gotta gotta get in the top twenty-five soon, don't they? I mean, I would think so. They had a rough game this past weekend, but uh, they won. So. They're getting some be- votes. I just love the fact that, you know, <laughs> nine out of the last 12 years, Appalachia's won the national championship. And then what we're ranked in the top 25 right now, we should, yeah. when we get our website up, we'll, we'll put the listings up of, of wins and losses every week for the Appalachian teams. This past weekend, we went 10 and seven, but a lot of the right. Appalachian teams play each other. So, yeah, that's what I was going to say. But that's pretty cool. It'd be nice if we could just form a conference of all Appalachian teams. <laughs> I know, and right? Dominate the country. Yeah, I think we should. I think we should start it. I think I should be the commissioner. Here, here's what we'll do: we'll post the wins and losses, but we're going to let you rank the teams every week. Oh, okay. I like it. So you have to rank one to seventeen. I got it. All right, I can handle that. I got guys down here that give me a hard time because, as you know, I coach everything coming and going because. And just kind of get thrown into it because my kids play it. But when it's football season and I'm coaching football, it's like a different mental state with me. Man, I love it. You're locked in? Yeah, I'm locked in. It's, <laughs> it's by far my favorite. Everybody knows it. I can't hide it. There's a smile <laughs> on my face every day. Man, there's just something about it. Well, I also wanted to bring up something else that happened this past week. Like we mentioned, the definition of Appalachia through the Appalachian Regional Commission. Mm-hmm. Well, the Appalachia Regional Commission uh, this past week announced the Power Initiative awardees, which the Power Initiative, for our listeners that don't know, is the Partnership for Opportunities in Workforce and Economic Revitalization. So it's basically grants or federal resources to coal-impacted communities throughout Appalachia. They've had the, this, they call it the Power Initiative, but they've had the Power Initiative, uh, I want to say, for the last... 
six years, maybe could be wrong with that. But in, in that time, they've invested 287 plus million dollars in 362 projects in 353 of the 420 counties that has created or retained 35,000 jobs. And I think the important point here is that it also has drawn $1.5 billion in private investment on top of that. So, you know, while I don't always agree with counties sitting around and waiting for the federal government, this is definitely a good thing for Appalachia and a lot of the things that it's going towards. Just this past release, this past week, $46 $46 million to 57 projects in 184 counties. That's a lot of money, but it's going to some important causes throughout these coal-impacted communities throughout Appalachia. Wow. Those are some remarkable numbers. They don't even they don't even really register with me when you start talking about millions and millions of dollars. So it's it's nice to see that happening throughout Appalachia. Definitely. And one specifically that I wanted to talk about. Uh, that that was just awarded was to the Kentucky Highlands Investment Corporation. So they got $1.5 million for their empowerment and promise zone operations, uh, essentially for kind of a revolving loan fund around business and technical assistance for social enterprises and also remote workers training for Teleworks USA. I wanted to point that out because of the guests that we have on tonight. Yep, looking forward to it. Is the director of the Promise Zone for the Kentucky Highlands Investment Corporation. I yep. thought it's pretty cool that that just was released, that they just got awarded, and she happens to be our guest tonight. Perfect timing, my friend. I'm looking forward to talking to uh, Sandy Kurd. Uh, I know she'll do a phenomenal job. Should be an interesting, inter- interesting interview. Even beyond speaking, she does a tremendous job for Kentucky Highlands. She's been yeah. there a number of years, and I'm sure she'll talk about it, what she does, but also what the investment corporation does. It's, it's, it's been around the region for a long time, and they've done awesome work, very innovative work for the region and have been working hard for a long time. And so yeah. I say we just uh, get her on and get it going. How about it? Let's do it. On the episode tonight, we have Sandy Kurd, who is the Promise Zone Coordinator of the Kentucky Highlands Investment Corporation, which is the first rural Promise Zone in the country. Um, I don't think it's the only now, but it was the first. She is also a farmer in Whitley County, Kentucky, with 25 years of career experience in the healthcare and agricultural industries. Um, She has her bachelor's from a a proud graduate of the University of Kentucky and her master's of healthcare administration from the University of Minnesota. And we wanna wanna welcome you, Sandy, and say thank you so much for being on the episode. Absolutely, good to be here, guys. We ask this of all our guests, we kinda wanna start it with this. As Appalachia is big on history, big on tradition, our family's big on tradition as well. One of the traditions we have is appetizers at the holidays. Uh, We wanted to ask you, do you have a favorite appetizer or holiday dish? Oh my gosh, Um, big family traditions with regard to just always having tons and tons of food, no matter what. So one of the, I guess one of the favorite dishes we have at the holidays 
is somebody brings the sweet potatoes, okay? And they've got to be in, you know, they've got to be like transition from a vegetable into like so sweet their dessert, you know, <laughs> and they've got like the, the marshmallows on top, but they've been melted down better than you get with the, you know, doing s'mores out at the front part and, and everything. And they're just, oh man, it, you know, and throw a few cons on top. Yeah, that's good stuff. That's, you know. Yeah, I love a good sweet potato casserole. Oh my gosh, it's fabulous! Absolutely, fabulous. it's funny. My kids hate sweet potatoes, but they love sweet potatoes with marshmallows on top. Oh, Imagine there you that. go. Yeah, yeah, they just eat the marshmallows. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's see what, what do you all share what your all's is? Oh, oh yeah. we've shared before. But I don't oh. think we have. I don't think anybody is. I don't think you know, any guest has, has ever asked us. But I, yeah, I know, mine we, is. I get, go ahead, Neil. Oh, we've talked about it before, you and I, maybe. Yeah. But uh, so we have an uncle that always brings uh, shrimp cocktail. How how can how can you uh, go wrong with uh, you can't. shrimp cocktail at any meal? That's um, right. Mine is. Have you ever had pretzel salad? Oh, is that with the jello kind of with the, yeah. with the layers? On the bottom, yeah, jello, yeah. Oh, that's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah uh, that's good. That's we we have a ice cream shop here in in Cleveland, Jenny's Ice Cream. Uh huh. They partnered with Dolly Parton this past summer on a special flavor, and it actually was, stra- it was strawberry pretzel salad ice cream, and, and it was like a limited edition, and it was the best ever. Excellent. I yep, love it. Awesome. I love it. Good choices, guys. Can you bring that to Christmas, Will? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll bring it down. <laughs> um, your farmer, I guess by trade yep. or by choice, the healthcare industry, and now you're in economic and community development. Can you talk a yep. little bit about that switch or maybe just your background of what led you to the sure. Kentucky Highlands Investment Corporation? And then we'll talk about the corporation and, and, and more specifically later. Well, that, that, that sounds great because um, the, the transition actually uh, involves the fact that I am a really bad farmer. And so, um, so anyhow, so my background, I mean, essentially I'm, I was going to, you know, I was doing healthcare administration um, and I was going to, you know, be like the big CEO of all these hospitals, you know, and all this other stuff and it didn't work out, but I did, uh, you know, uh, find my love of my life, my spouse, my husband, and uh, as a physician, um, you know, spend some time trying to to help in uh, office practice and doing medicine in, in that regard. It just became important for us not to be in the office any longer, and he chose to uh, uh, transition and go in and do emergency medicine. And so with that, they didn't need anybody in the office anymore, and so I was left and uh, had dreams, dreams, uh, you know, that came from my folks uh, that uh, that the farm life was the life to have, okay? <laughs> and so, you know, in, in Whitley County, you can actually afford a farm. And so, uh, so that was exciting. So we got this farm and he's busy working and I need something to do. And so I'm going to, by golly, I'm going to, you know, all this farm to table talk and all this stuff, I'm going to make this farm work and I'm going to do it Sandy Farmer style. And so anyhow, I got in there and of course, everything I tried to touch, I was just like, well, you sure need somebody else on the other end of that, you know, and, and you just, it, you know, really, really hard to do it by yourself. And I found myself uh, pulled towards the local emerging farmers market here in Whitley County. And so I was pulled into that and just uh, gravitated toward it because 
that was just more what my skill set was. I wasn't really a very good producer, but I seemed to to be able to organize and to market and to implement and to try to be able to help that. And so I lent my skill set to the Whitley County Farmers Market for several um, years there and still absolutely adore them. They're still, you know, a, a part of my philanthropic life. But during that was exposed to uh, Kentucky Highlands again. And I, like you guys, have known about Kentucky Highlands since I've, you know, uh, been in Southeast Kentucky. You know, I mean, it's part of the war on poverty from the 60s and everything. But we got some exposure. We got some national exposure, our little farmer's market. And that exposed me again to the folks, the leadership over at Kentucky Highlands. And at that same time, they got this designation, this, you know, this 10-year promise zone designation. They're they're trying to figure out who's, you know, who are we going to get to coordinate this? You know, and this is this is going to be full-time work and and it's it's not necessarily what it's not our our um, wheelhouse. It's not making loans. It's not doing all these other things. It's it's really kind of community development and it's coordinating and it's you know you're going to be working with all these different people in all these different industries. They saw me and they they were just like, well, let's you know we know Sandy. Let's 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 talk to her about it. And I tell you what, it has just been one of those life-changing sort of things. I mean, since I interviewed for this job, I have absolutely adored this job. This is my, this is my calling. Since 2014, I have been the coordinator of America's very first rural promise zone. We have uh, added partners. We started out with 12. Uh, we're now up to almost 100. And, and these are just organizations that know about us, that know about the promise zone, that know about the work and say, I want to be a part of it if I can be a part of it. We have identified over $850 million that these partner organizations have been able to secure to build capacity in our area. Um, we've uh, supported can't remember the number now, but like 500 and something letters of support where people are trying to get more grants and we support them and, and, and things. And, it, and it's real important. It's real important because in 2014, the coal industry was changing rapidly. Okay. It had been changing and the energy industry had been declining a lot because of a whole lot of different factors. And so this was an important time because in Eastern Kentucky and especially in Southeastern Kentucky, uh, we were all, you know, folks were just kind of like, what are we going to do? And the promise zone, and I want, and, and that's just one of many things, but because there was sore shaping our Appalachian region, but anyhow, it said, yeah, we know all these things are happening. We don't have an answer, but how about we take advantage of this federal designation and, and let's try to do this. And if we're trying to do this, we're doing something and there's nothing that's going to hurt us by exploring going after funding streams, okay? Because you, uh, when you're going after a grant, you're essentially writing a super duper business plan. It, it takes energy and it takes resources, but you're, you're gaining from that. You're, you know, the process of going after a grant is actually building the capacity of your, your organization. So anyhow, so we, we got this designation. I came on board. We survived uh, the transition. We're now in our second administration. We have been working hard with uh, the Biden administration to, again, show our value, to show our impact. 
we are the government's very cheap estate. They did not fund. There was not a big pot of money that came with being a promise zone. The only thing that being a promise zone did was it said that on certain federal funding streams that already existed, okay, money that was already going to go out, you're going to get an extra bonus point if you're going to use this money in the promise zone. That's all you get. You got one little tiny competitive advantage. So you had to have a really amazing grant application to begin with, but that tiny little extra credit pushed us over the top and saw where we could get this investment into our area. And I'll tell you, some of our partners have just been incredible. Partners for Education at Berea College, they have brought in Promise Neighborhood Grants out of the Department of Education for Clay, Jackson, Owsley County. They did it for Knox County. They did it again for Perry County. I mean, it's just, they're like leaders in trying to get uh, Department of Education ideas on the ground in rural areas uh, and trying to represent the nation that our rural regions have different issues than urban is uh, regions. Not that we don't need what they have to offer, but you have to flavor it and you have to tweak it in little different ways in order to be able to match the rural environment. Uh, we have FAHI, uh, the Federation of Appalachian Housing Groups. You know, they made a commitment that if we became a promise zone, they were going to, they, they had this big list and, uh, and guys, I didn't bring my numbers with me, but they have a big list. They said, by the end of 10 years, we're going to have this many houses built. We're going to have this many houses repaired. And they superseded that two years ago. I think that's the important point uh, of, and I was going to ask yes. this question, but you're making the perfect point of the promise zone. You know, I know that promise zones coordinate, you know, they coordinate and align different entities as you were suggesting, but really when you read about promise zones, they say just, just what you said, that they get priority points on federal grants. But yep. to a person walking on the street, that means nothing. You know what I mean? Right. But right. I know that the results of promise, on, promise zones are so much more as you're describing right now. You guys yep. do so much through your promise zones and through that coordination. I think it's incredible and very, in, in very innovative ways. And Kentucky Highlands has always been an innovative uh, corporation. I think it's been around almost 50 years now, right? 52, yeah. 52 yeah. years. And I'll tell yeah, you- Yeah, 1968. A, a, a little quick story. I was working in uh, New Haven, Connecticut, and I was at a board meeting. And there was a guy there who used to, he, he had worked at EDA for a long time, but now he, he, he was semi-retired and on the board that I was working with. Uh, I started talking about where I was from, Eastern Kentucky, because- I like to talk about that, especially when I'm outside of Appalachia. He mentioned that he worked for EDA and he was like, oh, Kentucky Highlands. And I'm like, you know of Kentucky Highlands? He was like, everybody at EDA knows of Kentucky Highlands. And, and I, I mentioned that to, to Brooklyn Hooker, who works in your office. Yes. She, she heard us on the episode and she reached out via email and said, not a lot of people know about us, but this is what we do. And it's, it's what you're talking about. And and I told her, everybody in the federal government knows about Kentucky Highlands because you all have been so innovative and you've been you've, you've done so many things for the region and federal entities. When you show success, they want their dollars to work. And Kentucky Highlands makes those dollars work. And, and you have explained the promise zones perfectly of, of what a person in the region and on the street can expect. 
from having this sure. chromosome. Now, one thing, Will, let me do, just just to throw that out. You know, some people will say, oh, you $850 million. Well, how come we can't tell the difference? I mean, how where did that money go? Where Where's it all? You know, and, and I say that because I identified it because it's like these grants, you get them, you get $30 million, but it's over a five-year period. You know, you get another, there'll be an award of $100 million or something like that, but it's going to be, you know, uh, certain things have to happen. So you never, so I'm just identifying those types of things. But even that number, as proud as I am of that number, that's over the, the entire seven years that we've been working right now. When we looked at the number of jobs that were lost in the promise zone due to just direct coal jobs lost, we had lost 5,000 coal miners. Each one of those making an average salary of $60,000 a year. You quickly come up with half that figure in one annual income, okay? You add in, you know, all the people that supported that, uh, you know, guy who lost their job, the trains that slowed down, the welders that lost their jobs, you know, all those other stuff. And you do the rough math on a, on a back of a new, uh, napkin. And what we saw was the changes in the industry. We lost a billion a year, you know, so 850 million is a great figure that's slowly trickling in, you know, we're very proud of it. But you compare that to the loss of a billion a year, you can start to realize, well, that's how come, you, you know, you can see it, but you can't really see it. You really can't. You're like, where did it go? Well, it's it's here, but it's like dropping. It's like, you know, pouring a cup of water in the bathtub. You know, you're, you're slowly filling it up. You're going the right direction, but it's really hard to see it with your eyes. I think Neil actually wanted to talk about his chickens. <laughs> so, all right well you said you were a farmer so yeah you know, yeah I, I failed to mention well, Neil likes to talk about his chickens well, all right I did not realize I, I, you know I mean I knew that I, I yeah I knew so, about how you cook them I just didn't know you you know <laughs> go ahead <laughs> you can you can uh right here in the in the middle of London Kentucky you can't do this in Cleveland Ohio but you know this in Willie County, yes. us in Appalachia, we, we do whatever we can to teach our kids where food comes from. Right. I have an 11-year-old that loves loves eggs. So okay. a year ago, he wanted to, to get more eggs. I said, let's get chickens. He said, what? Anyway, <laughs> we, we have some chickens right here on our small little plot here, right in the middle of uh, London, Kentucky. and Love it. Uh, Love it. He is also an entrepreneur. He he's eleven, and he figured out that he can sell eggs. Uh huh. So, uh, the listeners won't see this. They've heard me talk about it before, but you can see this flyer that he made. Uh, Good looking eggs. Fresh yeah. Eggs for sale. We we only have six chickens, so Will Will makes it sound like I got a big herd of chickens running around. But uh, <laughs> right. we got six chickens that that produce five eggs today. Will one day and do you ha do you have any chickens in your farming career have you have you got into the chicken okay. so i had this real sad experience with some ducks um and so, so <laughs> oh no oh no yeah well you know how when you you know how you go to tractor supply or southern state and, and at certain times of the year those babies are always there and they're absolutely adorable and right. i'm like i'm a farmer now i gotta have me <laughs> some ducks okay Absolutely. so so i came home with these two little ducks and said to my husband surprise 
And, and so I started raising these ducks in my kitchen and I'm I just absolutely floored at how, how fast these ducks grew. I mean, these are rapidly growing ducks and I moved them to the barn and then I moved them to my pond. And, and it was just, it was just sad what happened when I tried to release them in, in on the pond and, and, and it just kind of broke everybody's heart and, you know, you know, the dogs, I, you know, you, it, dogs and ducks. And sometimes it just doesn't work out. And so anyhow, after that tragedy on my farm with the puddles and quack, quack, well, well, uh, I'm forbidden to have poultry anymore. (laughs) I'm not allowed. I'm allowed to have poultry anymore. Well, no chickens. If if you need any eggs, just, uh, I will do that. uh, I will do that. Call me because, because my phone number is on the flyer. We, we decided to put dad's phone number on the flyer. So, well, you don't want, you don't want him uh, doing business during school hours and, that's right. uh, you know, taking orders for his eggs and stuff, so, but that's a, that's so, a good business for him to get into. Speaking of entrepreneurship, um, yeah. I know that in Promise Zone, you, you have some goals and, and it's a very broad set of go, goals around, you know, around broadband, around diversifying yes. the economy through entrepreneurship, yes. around, uh, education, healthcare, affordable housing, transportation, recreation and arts and leadership. You know, all these yep. things are goals that you have outside of what you spoke about before. But also there's this tiered plan uh, yep. where one, you have developed a strategic plan in regards to the promise zones. But yes. you've also, number two, integrated with shaping our Appalachian region or or soar. But number three on that is entrepreneurship and a real focus on that and diversifying the economy, but also uh, bringing in all the partners uh, that you mentioned. But can you talk about how that tiered system has developed or what you've done with some of those goals? And, and, And in tune with that, maybe just let the listeners know what all that the Highlands Investment Corporation, what they offer and what they do? Sure. So one of the reasons why Highlands has always been so uh, pro-entrepreneurs is because we spend a lot of time industrial recruiting, and that's important, and I don't want anybody to stop what they're doing. But the entrepreneurs that we find that stay in our market, that continue to employ, that grow and contract and, and, and stick to our area are the ones that we grow ourselves. And they're the ones that are committed to the region. They're the ones that really want to see the quality of life change for the benefit of everybody. Uh, and so that's the reason why we want to be able to provide that to the to the folks of our area. It's a different mindset. If you're used to working for a job and, and, and punching the clock, you're not always thinking how can I get this done and how could I get this done better than them and solve that problem and then possibly figure out a way to make money with it and be able to then build it into a business. It's a change in the way you, the way you think. And so we've been really spending a lot of time and, and have for, for many years trying to, to, to be able to change that mindset we have actually built a building next to us called our Innovation Center. It's a place where 
an aspiring entrepreneur could rent a cubicle or could rent a lab or could rent an office space and to just sort of incubate their idea and their business and not be pulled under with the weight of a lot of overhead before they're ready to grow that while they're still in a a spot that provides for them a, a professional conference room, access to Wi-Fi, and rubbing shoulders with other entrepreneurs because you're sitting there and you're like, gosh, I don't know how to protect this idea. And somebody's like, well, I had the same problem. I talked to Susie Q who's over there and does uh, intellectual law and uh, does it for a really reasonable rate. And so you've got that whole sharing uh, of uh, resources there. And then that's uh, staffed by two individuals, uh, very super competent, beautiful people. Uh, Melissa Kahn, whose actually background is in accounting and CPA. So she's able to, to help folks in making sure that they're uh, taking care of uh, business in the proper way. Shelton Ansley uh, has a, a lot of expertise, but uh, is also super good at the uh, social media and web building part. So that's that's what Kentucky Highlands is is doing in in that regard. Now we came along we the strategic plan for the Promise Zone because the Promise Zone is it's collaborative and it's cross sectional cross industry. You can't just make a difference if you hit it with economic development, because as soon as you do, you suddenly discover, well, that's great. We created a job, but now we can't get mom to go to work because there's no child care or we can't, you know, we can't get this to work because there's no heat in the house. And and you just you know, and then you're just like, well, we can't bring in this particular job because we don't have enough high school grads. And, and so you're hitting it from all the different angles that weave together a community. That, that strategic plan was attempting to be able to say that there are these 10 goals and we've got these 60 action strategies and we've got partners that what they normally do every day of their life affects that particular part, that particular action strategy. And then when the opportunity comes around, we connect them. Kentucky Highlands, I think it was originally dedicated as a CDFI. We were, yeah, we sure were when that came around. Yeah, You were formed, which, you know, there are a lot of CDFIs around the country that lend to small businesses. However, I think that Kentucky Highlands is a much more innovative CDFI than most. You don't just have these lending programs. You don't just have a revolving loan fund program. You have these programs that are based around the assets of your region, which is what it should be. You know, no one knows your region like you. You talked about affordable housing. I did work in affordable housing in D.C. for for a little while. So I know that language. I know community development language. I know ED language. And and it's like Greek and Latin. And they it really is. It is hard to coordinate. But two of the um, affordable housing programs that you have, the HBEER program and the Roots program, I think are brilliant and innovative ways to transform or to bring home ownership to the region, which is a way to develop wealth, to create wealth within a small rural region. And that just to mention that HBEER program, you know, your area is known for some of our listeners that don't know, has always been known as the houseboat capital of the world. I don't know if it's known for that anymore, but it took a, it took a hit during 2008. And that's kind of when you created this HBEER program. Those houseboat manufacturers could retrofit housing that was more sustainable, um, more energy efficient, 
that was more affordable for a lot of people in the region. I just thought that's an in, such an innovative approach for your region. And that's just one example of some of the things that Highlands does. And I just wanted to ask, how do you come up with these innovative approaches? Or is it just a coordination thing and everybody working together? Because it's not easy to coordinate all these entities. It's definitely not as easy as you're making it sound. Well, and, and that is one of those, I have to, I have to just truly, those two projects right there, uh, brainchild of, of our CEO, Jerry Rickett. He loves building, he loves construction. And one of the things that he realized early on, because in 1968, they thought the solution was going to be to create jobs. And that's great. But can't, like you were saying, you can't build wealth. You can have a job and you can work every single day, but that doesn't mean that you're going to be putting away, that you're going to be able to build equity, that you're going to be doing building wealth. And home ownership is the most effective way to be able to get an individual into a wealth building situation. The 30-year mortgage, he always says, was uh, one of the, the greatest inventions of uh, the American economy because it truly allows someone very uh, over a period of time to be able to really do something to uh, invest in. And of course, the houseboat uh, crisis due to the financial crisis uh, and so forth, it was constantly looking for for ways to repurpose that industry as rapidly as possible. But Jerry has always had this idea of how can we take every component of a house and take every program that's in affordable housing and stack those up and create a a house that's so energy efficient that the money that a person normally spends on utilities could be spent on their mortgage instead. But, you know, a lot of that is just that that's just him. He will tell you that he hasn't ever invented a brand new idea, just stacks it in a in a different way and experiments with it and tries to get the best minds to take a what would be an old idea, but to apply it in, in, in a new way. But again, I think I think he's taking the assets that you have and building yeah. that, which is a perfect example of innovation in your region. And then another, another kind of example of that, especially with the promise zones, is this idea around place-based initiatives. Really kind of the term that you use to, to describe some of your work there with the promise zones. Can you talk about that, that term for the listeners that don't know and just what it means to sure. you, what it means to the promise zone? Well, place-based says that essentially what you're going to do is you're going to draw a circle around a place and you are going to then devote all of your energy within that circle. And you are going to say that uh, it doesn't matter. I don't have a specific plan right now. I don't know what it's going to take, but whatever it takes, that circle is going to do better. And it came out of uh, uh, some work that was done uh, in in Harlem, uh, not Harlan, Harlem, New York, with uh, Jeff Kennedy in the Harlem Children's Zone, because Jeff just went in as an educator, and he grabbed one failing block in Harlem and said, I don't care what it takes, but every kid in this block is going to go to college. Whatever the barrier was, he found a workaround. And if it, if it dealt with kids, he did it. If it dealt with parents, he did it. If it dealt with food insecurity he dealt with, you know, it was whatever it was, he tried to find a workaround. And the crazy part was 
He did it. He got every single one of those kids to college and through college. And then he, in advance, he like, okay, well, let's see if we can do another block. And so that's when this place-based work, really, we've experimented with it over years, uh, you know, with uh, different types of empowerment zones and and enterprise zones. Now, I will tell you what the Achilles heel of place-based work is. As a society, you know, uh, policymakers and those types of things go, they want to see cause and effect. And it's very, very difficult uh, in place-based work to measure cause and effect because so many of the things that you are attempting to do to change population level indicators, which are like, you know, unemployment levels and graduation rates and, and those types of things, those are the, le- well, that's the level that you want to work at because who cares if you do all this other stuff if you don't hit the big ones, okay? But you can't always tell when you're doing this individual work with folks that eventually it's impacting that population level change. And the other thing is in American society that we are really uncomfortable with is long-term investments. And that is where you actually, you know, will be patient enough to wait. Uh, I laughed. I had just been uh, made the Promise Zone Coordinator and uh, it was about six months into the initiative and we were already getting requests on outcomes. What? <laughs> we just got started. Uh, we don't, we don't, we don't have any outcomes yet. <laughs> you know, that's the problem with uh, the challenge with play space is trying to be able, because you're doing all this work and you're not actually able, if you do see changes in population level data, can you say it was because of you, because of the work that you did? Um, now, there is a lot of uh, exciting things happening uh, in the uh, institutions out there like Urban Institute and places like that, uh, Opportunity Insights that are doing exploration with data and being able to come up with statistical ways to show that you made a difference. Uh, as of right now, intuitively, you know it. If you go and you talk to your partners, if you go to, if you go around and you talk to the people of the area and, and so forth, we know it makes sense. It's just difficult to prove on paper sometimes. But that's what place is. You draw a circle around something and then you say, whatever it takes, that's what we're going to do. Place-based things could happen where Sandy and I live and it would take decades to be able to register progress. So I I completely understand what you're saying. I mean, I'm very optimistic about Appalachia these days. I, I really feel like that we are, we have reached a point where we're just kind of like, we are just so close to that tipping point of being able to show on paper what we're feeling locally. We've got folks that are coming back. They're saying, you know what? I want to, I want to raise my kids here because this is just a better place to raise kids. So I don't spend my entire life in a traffic jam. Uh, I'm actually able to take that time and use it to to uh, have quality time with my family. We were talking earlier about broadband. Broadband, I think, is going to be what does it for us. And I'll sell you a mountaintop and let you raise chickens in the backyard. And you can you can do your job remotely, but I can give you the quality of life that's that allows you a chance to breathe. I think you're absolutely right. One, one of the things that's always has frustrated me in the past with the region, we've always waited on the federal government to come in and save us or to come in and yeah. help us. We've always yeah. waited on someone from the outside to tell us what to do. 
Well, I think we're well past that point. I think we realize that it's us that is going to help us. You know, Appalachians yeah. need to start working for Appalachian. I think we've been doing that. And we're starting to do that. And we continue to do that. And it's really changing our perception. It's changing our views and it's changing what's happening in our region. And I think that's uh, a perfect point. And I think that's, yep. I think that's exactly what place-based initiatives can do, especially in the region. I agree with you totally. I, yeah. And I think it's time now. And I think there's enough, enough folk uh, down here that are just kind of like, I've met them, I, you know, sort of thing. I, they don't have anything on us. And, exactly. And, and I think that's yeah. <laughs> kind of the, one of the points of this podcast. Nobody knows Appalachia like Appalachians. That's exactly right. To that point, one question that we ask all our guests as well, um, and I, I think we already know where you're from, we, we ask all our guests, where do you call home and why do you call it home and what makes it unique to you? Oh, absolutely. Well, um, I'm a Kentuckian by birth, but an Appalachian by choice. I was born up in the Lexington area, and uh, I've only lived outside of the state for a couple of years. That's when I went to grad school in Minnesota. But I moved down here uh, to, to Corbin in southeast Kentucky, and all well, I made my life here, and now they can't get rid of me. You know, they're stuck. <laughs> I, yeah. <laughs> it's like, too bad, guys. I'm here to stay now. Uh, but I married a, you know, I married a southeastern Kentucky boy, and so that gave me, you know, a whole set of roots uh, for the area. What do I love about this? Because, you know, there are times when you get hankering for stuff that you don't have, you know, that sort of thing. And you start wondering about what it would be like if you were to go to a Cleveland or someplace like that, you know. And and, and really what happens to you is you start to look around to all the people that you know. And the fact that, you know, I can run into somebody and uh, I can be, you know, and, and they'll be like, oh, I know Neil Warren. Oh, yeah, we talked about something else that he wants to do with the school system. And and yeah, I know him and I can connect him with other people. And, you know, I was uh, I was telling a, a gentleman who's coming out of Lexington just a couple weeks ago. And uh, and I said, you don't know this yet. But I said, I moved down here to Corbin. And I said, every time I left town and like drove up to Lexington, I'd run into people from Corbin that I knew. And every time I went to Cincinnati, I'd run into people from Corbin that I knew. And, and I said, and then I went to London, England, and I looked up and I'm like, you're not gonna believe this. I ran into somebody from Corbin that I knew. <laughs> I said, you don't know this yet, but Southeastern Kentucky is actually the center of the universe. And, it's a, and nobody knows it, you know. Well, I, think, because- I think building relationship is, is the center of the universe. And Sandy, that, that's, that's obviously something that you are very, very, talented at and I, I'll commend you on that and it reminds me so much of mine and Will's sister Amy Hosteller actually who okay could literally go anywhere in the world and I will guarantee you she will run into somebody she knows from Appalachia absolutely absolutely you gotta yeah. have the ability to recognize those people when you're there and carry on a conversation with them but you're exactly right no matter where you're at. I didn't mean to cut you off there. No, but. not at all. Not at all. I think you're, I mean, you're exactly right. It's the people that keep you, the people are what keep you here. And this is what's, that's, what's super special about it. I did, uh, I did some physician recruiting early years of working for the hospital down here. And it was kind of like, you know, I could, if I could get folks to move, uh, if I could get a family to move into town, then it was, you know, it was like, oh, a huge success. But then I had to spend a little more time because after about a couple of years, they were just like, I've just fed up. I don't have malls to go to. I don't, you know, they're all frustrated. They couldn't find 
the perfect church, you know, uh, that met every single requirement that they had for the entire family and all these other things and so forth. And, and I was just like, if I could just figure out how to, to bridge that, because once I had you here five years, you're mine. I, I can't now you're uh, actually, I can't get rid of you, you know, but if five years is what it takes in order to be able to build, you know, if you come in from the outside to build those relationships so that you realize that you just, you know, this is, this is home now. And you don't, you don't want to leave it. You don't want to, you don't want to have to start over again. You just really like what you've got. Where can people find Kentucky Highlands Investment Corporation and how can they reach you and your organization if they, they need help in the region? Um, the easiest way, of course, is uh, using Google uh, to just look up Kentucky Highlands. It's khic.org, but if you just look up Kentucky Highlands Investment Corporation, you're going to get to us. Uh, I have my own. I have the uh, kypromisezone.com uh, to be able to uh, share with the world uh, all things Promise Zone, but you can also get to it through the other links. Um, and those are those are the fastest ways. Uh, those include uh, telephone numbers uh, and email uh, access. And uh, we do love company and we do love sharing with people uh, what we're doing down here. We don't believe that uh, we've got big secrets. Uh, therefore, if there's anything we can do to help another community that's attempting to deal with issues, call us. We'll share what we can with you and, and see if any of it helps and if any of it sticks. So, also, Sandy, don't, don't you have your own podcast too? Did somebody tell me you started a podcast? Do you, is that true? Well, I have not started a podcast. I, I've uh, participated on a couple. I, I, we did have, uh, Corbin uh, did have a uh, TEDx uh, event uh, and I was privileged to um, to be one of the speakers for that. It was it was a great day. It was a huge uh, it was a huge event, and I, I I really I wish we we need to be doing some more. Not necessarily TEDx Corbin's, but we need to be doing TEDx Appalachia. We need to be moving it around uh, all of Appalachia and grabbing so many of those fantastic yeah. ideas. I think what you just said was I think everybody needs to listen to Neil and Will's podcast because it pretty much is TEDx Appalachia. I, I think you're absolutely right. I think Appalachia Meets World is a must for for folks, um, and it needs to be uh, circulated and uh, and shared with others. Yes, absolutely, and that's a perfect ending. <laughs> okay, okay. Sandy, we want to thank you so much for being part of the episode. We greatly appreciate your time, your experience, and all that you've shared. Well, I'm glad to be here. Appreciate you guys doing this and spreading the good word. Well, man, great job, Sandy Kurt. Like I said before we ever got her on, I, I knew it would be good uh, just because of the uh, relationship that I have with her. I knew she would do a great job. I knew it would be very informative. Again, I learned a lot, as usual. <laughs> I'm, I'm still learning. <laughs> but really, it was so so impressive about how, how she got into that position yeah, what she does and how creative she is in that position and, and all the excellent work that she does. It was really cool to hear her talk about it, not only about her position, but also about Kentucky Highlands in general. 
And if you're not in that world, you don't, you know, a lot of things, information she gave us, you don't hear a whole lot about, you know, you hear, especially in this area, Kentucky Highlands, Kentucky Highlands all the time, but people don't really know what they do or how much of an impact they have throughout all of Appalachia. Yeah. And to that point, I want to give a shout out to Brooklyn Hooker, who works at Kentucky Highlands Investment Corporation. She herself is in, does some excellent work at, at Kentucky Highlands. And she reached out to us and she said exactly what you just said. She said, mm-hmm. we've been in this region a long time, but a lot of the people don't know exactly what we do. And we would love to have an opportunity to be on the show. And so we appreciate her working, uh, reaching out, but we appreciate more the work that she does and the work that Highlands does because mm-hmm. I told her I've worked in this world and even outside of Kentucky, people have heard of Kentucky Highlands because of yeah. all the innovative work they've been doing for decades in the region and for Appalachia. So thanks to her for reaching out and getting hook, hooking us up with Sandy Curd and getting her on the show. Yeah, Brooklyn's good people. Comes from a great family. You know, her her husband, Adam, uh, just great, great folks and a great representative of our region for sure. So I'm, I'm happy to know them and and grateful that they listen to us and, and, and at least <laughs> know, let, right? us, let us uh, try to run our mouth a little bit to promote some of the things they do. So, but yeah, yeah, but honestly, you know, it's great to see someone so passionate about the work that they do like Brooklyn and right, like Sandy and, and uh, just to reach out and, and want other people to know. Yep. Good stuff. Appreciate Sandy. Yeah. Yeah. I, I appreciated that. She mentioned the, the, some of the other organizations that they work with, like the area development districts, CEDIC, MACED, SCAD, and also SOAR. Uh, I think for a region this, uh, of the size that they are in, all those organizations work really good together. Yeah, I agree. What about of place, man? You, you got you got anything for me tonight? I don't want to uh, overrun you with questions here, but I was just thinking with all your work in, in this particular type of field, it probably brought back some memories or at least maybe sparked some, sparked some wires up there somewhere. I was hoping you'd have something for me. You know, I, I've told a lot of people this. This is not going to be a, <laughs> a very long of place, but, I, but I'll give you a little something. I've told a lot of people this in, in the work that I've done. It doesn't matter where I work, where I am. When I'm working, I'm always thinking in the back of my head of how what I do can benefit Appalachia or how I can bring back things that I'm doing to the place that I call home. You know what I mean? Yeah, Um, totally. And I've I've seen so many things, so many innovative uh, projects in some of the work that I do that could fit perfectly in Appalachia in in the region where I where I grew up, and and I've also seen people accomplish some of the things that I've, I've done, some of the things that I've seen, some of the things that I, I see going on in other places. You know, it works in other places, but it also can work in Appalachia as long as you work around the assets that you have. And I know Sandy mentioned it in the episode about building your own region based upon your assets. And that's, a, that's an important point. And I feel like there are a lot of innovative things that Highlands does. And I just want to point out one of those. I think it's uh, perfect for our of place section. It's the Roots initi- Initiative. I know Sandy talked a little bit about the affordable housing things that they do, but the Roots Initiative is recycling our outdated trailer sites. And I think it's it's important for Appalachia, for that area, because 
it not only provides better housing options, but it also helps people gain ownership of the land or the roots that they grew up on. And I think that's kind of fitting for our of place section, but this initiative kind of reaches out, helps people to not only find better housing opportunities, but also own the land that they live on. I don't know. That That's just one of the things that Highlands does, one of the innovative things that kind of builds upon the assets that they have. I think it was really cool and really innovative, but also really important for um, people in the region and, and Appalachians in general. I think the moral of that story is both of us, no matter where we go or what we do, are constantly trying to think about if things will work, where they'll work, and how they will work in Appalachia. Absolutely. Uh, again, there's no place like home. No place us. like home. I continue to click my heels. Yeah, yeah. For us, it's Appalachia. For me, it's definitely home. For you. It's still uh, home, man. Still yeah, home. I know. I understand. Well, this wraps up our episode with Sandy. Again, appreciate her. Thanks for your words as well. So yeah, if you, if you like what you're hearing, share it, share it with a friend, uh, get the word out there. It just helps us out, it helps us on these platforms to kind of feature uh, the show, help more people hear about Appalachia and the great things that are going on. Yes, sir. All right. Like I usually say, till next time. Peace. I'm up in the mountains again. I'm getting lighter. The air's getting now I'm facing down with a grin I've been in the city too long Sidewalks and buildings and singing sad songs Now I'm back up where I belong in the mountains again